0: rugbyrenegade.com The number 1 online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast
1: where we build machines. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Yeah, today is episode 58 of the podcast, I know it's been quite a while since episode 57, uh, but been busy uh, in season, but now due to COVID-19 of course on lockdown, uh, I've got a few more podcasts lined up, people who are stuck at home, so hopefully some more more good content coming out, but obviously first of all hope everyone's staying safe, um, getting through getting through being in isolation and still being able to train and obviously try and improve performance. And today's podcast is no different. You're gonna to get tons of information for training for speed from Jonas Dodu of SpeedWorks. Um, known Jonas for quite a while now I've seen him speak and a great great speaker and presenter with a really great philosophy about improving speed for rugby and he's also worked at you know a real high level with, with many of the clubs in, in the Premiership in the UK and uh, working he mentions his work with Eddie Jones in England so, um, yeah, great podcast. Tons of really good information. Um, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Jonas, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into uh, strength and condition and, and who you've worked with and what you're currently doing.
0: Um, yeah, okay. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, my, my background was rugby. Um, I, I played rugby through the age groups. and I played at school and for Roslyn Park. And, um Played up to county level and, and went over to Harpre College, thinking I would live the dream, and and, and actually got there and realised I just wasn't conditioned uh, for for purpose. I wasn't fit for purpose. I had some old injuries that had strapped up most of my, my life, most of my junior career, and I realised when I got there to move to the next level, um, I needed to address them. So that that got me interested in in sports medicine and strength and conditioning. I was already studying a, a, a coaching conditioning degree um and being at Hartbury was i guess really eye-opening to just being able to see gloucester and the academy and their first team players and how they trained and it was very different to what i expected um so it got me really interested it got me interested in speed and power and um and so i searched among the s and c coaches in the country and even internationally um those focusing on rugby and, and actually if you if you found the good ones and, and they um they talked about their philosophy. Uh, I remember talking to um, quite a few s coaches who would refer back to track and field. Um, And it it just kept on happening. When you snowballed through the research in in rugby or football, it it went back to track and field. So it made me think, okay, well, there's something missing here that I I don't know anything about. So I I decided to study more track and field and found a great mentor and um, did my master's thesis and studied him and studied expertise and tried to find out, almost tried to reverse engineer what made him great. Um, and then I fell in love with track and field. I, I had an opportunity to do a PhD um, over in Canada with Kevin Tyler and Derek Evely, um, and and I thought it would be quite cool to be Doctor Dodu. Um, but I also realized uh, that I would feel a bit like a fraud. I, I always feel it's great to be well read in a topic, um, but I can't call myself an expert until I at least get someone to run relatively fast. Um, I, when I can at least be able to, you know, really balance the the components in a complementary way within my training program and, and, and be able to peak someone when, um, at a specific time, place, um, at a specific, uh, type of, uh, you know, performance. So, um, so the, the, the journey of S and C kind of took me towards being a track coach, which for me has really helped me as an S N C coach and as a sports therapist, um, and, and just as a general coach, because it's, it's helped me understand, um, the complementary and compatible nature of of training components so it's one thing to talk about speed or just talk about s and c but the, the question is how does one interact interfere or support the other um and so that that's really been my the main part of my journey is is figuring out you know it's, it's great to know the why and we will know our why uh, essentially uh, is to, to be faster to to be to be better everyone can get faster but not everyone will be fast so it's recognising that everyone can improve. You may not be Bolt, you may not be Rhys Prescott, um, but you can improve. Uh, but the question is how, and how do we systematically do that um, over time so we can consistently improve? So that's really been the, my main question and probably my life's work.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you're right there because often in in rugby you get you know some of the props going, well, why am I doing speed? You know, I'm not going to be as fast as them. And and you're right, mm. it's not. You're not, but you're going to. Be faster than your opposition, or you're going to improve your own individual performance. that's, that's definitely a good point. And you touched on, yeah, obviously, sure. your, your interest in track and field. Um, how do your your <clears> principles <throat> of speed training for track sprinters? How, how do you transfer those into field sports?
0: Well, um, I, I, I'm I'm a bit of a generalist when, when it comes to that, and in my mind, you know, most people have two arms and two legs, um, and and I've worked with some people who don't. But the reality is most of our um, uh, most of what makes us efficient um, comes from the ability to stabilize our pelvis, um, to disassociate our limbs and to disassociate rotation at certain points and, and to be stable at other points and be able to coordinate a proximal to distal extension. So a hip driven uh, extension into the ground as opposed to a quad driven um, a, a quiet spine so you can extend uh, and and project yourself rather than a noisy spine. So there are there are some, and we can talk about the, what, what those things actually mean, but there are some basic tenets that that just cross over from efficient to inefficient movement. Now, in rugby, you find a lot of people can be effective. They can do what they need to do whilst being inefficient. Um, and so my work in, in rugby or football is, is often about the most of their current abilities um, and also to identify where there are limitations and where we can what can we change now with a with a coordination type solution and, and what actually do we change over a, over a relatively short period of time through some specific specific conditioning
1: okay and, and you touched on you know your work with both football and rugby now how, do, how does your training approach change when working with contact athletes
0: um so it depends in what guys, like I'm, I'm a bit of a chameleon and, and, and I wear lots of hats. So if, if I'm working for Eddie Jones and, and we're, we're in, in an international camp or we're preparing for a, a game on, on a game week, a match day minus three, um, my work is primarily on making sure they're ready to train and doing any extra individual bits that I need to do. So, and they're already in engrossed in a, contact training program they're doing enough day to day and week to week that i don't have to necessarily include the contact component as almost a training load uh, measurement what, what i do have to do is make sure that i have enough game speed that, that the, the basic components that i'm developing in linear and lateral speed and power and change direction um that the players feel and understand how they would apply those skills um to their game to their position Um, that's my prime primary goal Um, but including contact is not my primary goal it's it's really speed and power Um, now if we're in an off off off-season camp pre-season camp scenario yeah so for for four weeks prior to the the boys going into world cup camp we had a a a, a camp up in Loughborough Um, not just for the England boys for a variety of players Um, and then that's Scenario: You could argue that, well, they're you know they're four weeks out from playing rugby, um, so contact is an important thing. But the, the reality is, when they go back into camp, that they was already going to be a, a gradual rise and, and um, of contact-specific work. So in in my camp scenarios, I tend to exchange the contact, um, the poundage that they will get through making tackles and being on the ground. I exchange that for for the poundage that I increase through loaded plyometrics and um, and extended sprint work and um, and uh, jump progressions. So they 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 get whacked, but they just get whacked in a different way.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and and it's a good example of how you you know you modify load of different different parameters as you go through the season based on what you know they're going to do. You know, in terms of their technical, tactical, rugby specific training. So that's, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and you almost, I guess you almost touched it there in terms of loaded jumping and things like that. What uh, what role does strength training play in, in development of speed with your athletes?
0: Well, I think it's a primary role. I think it has a big role. It's just, I, I think in the discussion, you have to define strength. Um, and for me, strength is strength goes from the weight room to even our plyometrics, even to our, some of our specific drills. Um, so, strength to me is. Uh, you know, uh, J.B. Morren says, what strength at what time or what force at what time? So I think I think when we talk about strength when we talk about development of force and force characteristics, we have to be clear with the fact that for wh- whatever we want, there's always going to be an underpinning physical quality that supports it, be it running at 11 metres per second or be it accelerating um, from zero to five metres. There are going to be some very specific qualities and so the real question is how do we develop those specific qualities and some of those qualities are easily developed in the gym by lifting weights at at, at relatively heavy loads and actually relatively slowly and some of those qualities uh, and and we can lift weights and focus on a more compound movement where we're really looking at uh, I, I guess mental coordination. How how well do you transfer force from your hips into your knees and your ankles, and how well do you stabilize your spine during that process? Um, or we and, and that has a real nice global effect on strength to weight ratio, and we we know that strength to weight ratio has a really good uh, correlation with your zero to ten meter time. So your your basically your ability to go from f- when you've got no momentum and create momentum, especially. And orientate that momentum horizontally. We we know being strong, being able to clean, being able to squat or deadlift or or or, um, leg press. You know anything that's to do with increasing your hips' ability and your thighs' ability to produce large force. And more importantly, has taught your body that it's okay to to create those force. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Really, gym to jump. We only really gym to turn off the inhibition through your system, through your spine, through your through your tendons and and allow you to access more, to turn your central governor off or to at least tell it to trust you that it's okay to produce more force. Um, Whereas and so that's maybe an intersegmental thing. We also see that thing at the segment level. So do we have to train movement, not muscles, or do we train movement and muscles? So I, I did a presentation recently, a workshop for the FA, and that was really the topic. And, and of course, most of my mentors and most people will talk about the fact that functional compound movements, movements that give you the opportunity to develop force as well as some level of coordination, intersegmental coordination, has a better transfer to sport. And, and it does at some levels, but sometimes you really have to train the segment because actually the body's a great um, has a great capacity for compensation, has a great way to skip joints or skip muscle groups or move move through small rotations, load the, the lateral part of a muscle fiber more than the, the the medial part or the lateral muscle more than the medial muscle. And so if you don't find ways to overload your limitations, your body will find ways to skip them, to, to move around them. And in those scenarios, we really find that um, segmental loading, uh, isolated loading, uh, makes more sense than a global movement.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It almost kind of leads into my, my next question. And I'm guessing if, if you haven't built up that strength segmentally uh you're at more risk mm. of injuries so so how do you approach um rehabbing or, or i guess in this case kind of preventing injuries yeah i mean are you at more
0: risk are you at really at more risk i don't know if you're at more risk of injury necessarily um i think what you, you are is uh, you are you you are at more risk of injury if you're trying to change the movement pattern so if you for example um don't have very good uh, distal hamstring strength so your lower hamstrings a hamstring close to your knee um, isn't very good at uh, accepting eccentric load especially at high speed especially at out of range movements so you know a, a large prevalence of hamstring injury in your biceps happens in the late swing phase of running when your leg kicks out so if you don't have that capacity and every time you RDL, you do it in a position where you get some load into the biceps, but really you get it. Um, most of it is in your proximal tendon, not the distal. And you don't have any any extra loading activities in the gym or even you're not doing uh, overload uh, drills to overload that component. But suddenly you you watch a video that says this is a good running style. And suddenly you try to change your technique. That's when you're at risk of injury. You're almost better off running slower and in in a poor fashion because in in order to run faster and make a better use of your muscles, you don't have that capacity in that particular muscle group or that chain. So that's where there's risk of injury. So really, the point is that when you want to make changes technically, you have to understand uh, the underpinning qualities needed for that technical change. I'm always talking about teaching and training. We want to teach better movements, but we better go away and train it too. Otherwise, we're being pretty irresponsible. Um, so ju- that's just a bit of a, a spin-off to, to just make sure that we're clear, that you, you only really get injuries through overload. And if you keep doing what you've always been doing, then if the, as long as there's no programming error, as long as there isn't a, suddenly a ramp in volume or ramp in intensity, you can generally get away with it. But you're getting away with running slow consistently. So now if you want to move to this new fast path, then you better have a, a, a all-rounded system where all your components are complementary. Um, so then to go back to your question about how does that apply to injury, well, it's, exa- it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. If you can find out where in the running cycle, what was the, what was the reason for the injury, um, especially, again, if it's not programming error, we're talking about a, an injury specific to a certain type of movement pattern. If you can identify that, then you can reverse engineer it and go, okay, what was the cause of that aberrant movement pattern? And sometimes it's not to do with the movement, it's to do with what happened a frame or two before that part of the running cycle. Then if you can be clear with what that is, then you can reverse engineer and go, okay, well, I I recognize that. um, So there's something called moment arm bias, which basically means in the running cycle, even though you might think of the hamstrings as being say that you could break it into four or even five if you're really if you're really um tricky um and essentially those different muscles work in synergy but have a bit of a bias at different phases of the running cycle so if you can recognize what where that bias is then it allows you to say okay during this rehab program we want to do total hamstring condition we want to completely develop the, the the whole system in whole and in part but actually we're going to overload this part over here Because we know it's its biggest limiting factor. Or we're going to think a bit more about how we're training this part. We're going to think a bit more how how we are um, periodizing periodizing how how much load it gets. We're going to think a bit more about the type of contraction and, and the phase potentiation we want to apply to this body part. We're going to think a bit more about the drills and the skills and the type of activation we want in order to make sure this this particular muscle, be it your, your short head of your biceps or be it your semi-mem, you know, it, we're going to think a bit more about um, what really matters um, because it was clearly the reason you got hurt in the first place.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And it's I'm going to skip my next question, go to the, the one after because it's it's kind of on the on similar sort of trail of thought there and it's, it's how you deal with um balance of exposing rugby players to high speed running but not overdoing it you know it can be an issue that some players don't get any they need mm. exposure to it but then obviously like you say you don't want any programming areas where you suddenly ramp up how do you, how do you deal with that it sounds like you you've got everything obviously including your your gym work and pliers and things all all tied up what's what's your approach
0: yeah i think your approach is by um by, by your philosophy I guess um, if you have a speed based <laughs> philosophy so not just I, on this particular day I want to train speed if you have a speed based philosophy where you completely integrate and understand how all your components transfer to better movement patterns and, and essentially what those movement patterns mean for speed then you can train it consistently even even when you're not running at real high speeds. Um, maybe I'm not being clear here, actually. I think that, okay, Tim Gabbett has come out with some clarity about the fact that, you know, there's a bit of a in, there's a bit of a, a, a sweet spot in amount of high-speed exposures, maybe between three and six, and, and, and I think it might differ to, depending on your environments. But we know that there is almost a, a, a bit of a sprint vaccine necessary on a weekly basis to prevent spikes in in training loads to to decrease um decrease risk of injury so we kind of know the types of volumes now in some weeks you may not be able to do that and in other weeks you may be able to do three times as much um and what prepares you and what supports you in um in doing that is not just the out and out Mm -hmm. speed work there is a, a continuum of running sessions of drill progressions of work capacity and technical endurance, um, of gym gym progressions that all uh, culminate to uh, building an athlete that is tolerant to running fast, but also tolerant to running fast often. And once you build those general capacities, essentially, um, and you build those work capacities, you build those coordinations, then actually half, half of the problem is just maintaining them. But if you haven't built them, then you have more issues and you have more risk of training spikes and uh, and and injuries from overdoing it. Um, so uh, again, I don't know if I've been clear here. How do you? I'm going to ask the question again to myself. How do you stop? Uh, how do you prevent yourself from doing too much um, and not doing too little? I think if you've got it throughout your week, if there are components in the gym, components on on the field. Uh, components before and after training. If you have different ways of training swing leg retraction, stiffness on the ground, large rates of force development um, in short amount of time. um, Yeah, those are really two things. If if you're very happy to swing your leg down, load your your biceps eccentrically, then turn it into big isometric co-contraction, hit the ground really hard and bounce off of it, and then then recover your leg, In order to do it again, if you've got those qualities and you've developed them in lots of different places in the gym, then then you're normally set. Like that, that's really my history. If if we've had opportunity to do all the important things everywhere in the program, then we we don't to see injuries or ability to sprint um, fast when they need to. It's when those other. It's when a gym program isn't directly uh, developed and uh, evolving alongside the uh, the movement needs um it's when a gym program is the top of the pyramid that when we see big issues on on field but when sprinting is the top of the pyramid and everything trickles down like a Bondichuk type um, exercise categor categorization um we don't tend to see big issues with with spikes in sprinting load because they're they're almost always prepared yeah i think you very
1: long very long answer for a very short question so i'm sorry (laughs) no that's fine no i I think it 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 does make sense and the the key thing is like you say everything you know every facet of your training is dialed towards increasing performance which ultimately is improving speed of you know the sporting action so that's Mm, mm. yeah i think sometimes when you kind of have a, a gym program that isn't quite tied in with that then then you get issues Um,
0: I think also a running programme, because now now that more I think about it is when it's time to run fast, if you've had a pre-season, when it's time to run fast, it's not the first time you've run fast. If you've built your running conditioning and it goes uh, across to to rehab as well, I like to rehab fast rather than rehab slow. And a lot of people choose rehab And when I mean rehab slow, I mean using slow reps of, you know, three, four meters per second jogging and running to build your work capacity. I think is most of the time BS. There are there are times where adding that to a, a fast program makes sense, but most times BS because really when we talk about speed, if we're going to really break it down into key components, we're really talking about how do you create pre-tension in your running cycle so you can have large amounts of system stiffness on the ground. That really is speed. That to me is the underpinning quality of speed, um, and why it's important is because um, it, that's actually the underpinning quality of most explosive actions. If, you, if you're going to kick, you, your, your stance leg, your balance leg, needs to be able to do that prior to swinging the swing leg. If you're going to change direction, the same thing. If you're going to jump, the same thing. It's always the same thing. Can you create lots of pretension so that you can have large amounts of system stiffness um, mm-hmm. on the ground? And if, if you do that, you can produce more force in a limited amount of time, and you can also get off the ground quickly so you can do it again. Yeah, that's Franz Bosch's hole attacking from the front or attacking from above. That's frontside mechanics from Ralph Mann. That's every... It's quite interesting because if you talk to most skill coaches, again, most of their queuing or most of the things they want involve pretension so that you can do what you need to do quicker on the ground and still produce large forces. So if that's our end goal, that's what we really want, um, We we better be developing that across the board. Now, at the same time, If we're running slowly, it's all about amortisation. It's all about soft. It's all about knees bending on ground contact. It's all about giving. Um, And that is the opposite skill that most of our players need. It's not to say they don't jog in the game. It's not to say some of the game isn't done at low pace. But even look at explosive players when they jog. They're, they're, They're bouncy. They're not sinky. They're bouncy. And so it's like, okay, actually, in, in pre-season, in rehab, if from the very early stages we are teaching bounciness, stiffness and ground contact, even in the early stages of a hamstring injury rehab, you can get them to do pogos. You can get them to do stiff-legged type stuff. Uh, and the more the more distal the injury, the, the, the more you can keep them doing more straight-legged type scissors. You can really... Um, encourage them to turn off any inhibition that's happened as a result of their injury Um, and this allows you to build elastic capacity technical endurance and if you get to do this in your your pre-season you might you might be running at 80 85 percent intensity and you might be dribbling you might be doing dribble bleeds you might be just doing a range of sprint specific tasks forwards and sideways and change it with, with changes of directions and because you've built this capacity, you've built this awareness and more than anything you've built this into into segmental coordination, this whole proximal to distal thing and and this is really, really important. That's how you create really good swing leg retraction and and system stiffness. If you've done these things, then you've built the capacity necessary to run fast. these are these are the important tenants. then the gym supports that your the rest of your training supports that. But if you've done that, if you've built the capacity to do three sets of four 60s with a short recovery, I'm not talking about building speed. I'm still talking about building work capacity in whatever energy system you think it fits in. I'm just going to call it work capacity. If you've done that, then running fast is easier and less has less injury uh, connotations because you've got the capacity to have your pelvis in the right place, to use your muscles in the right order and to be efficient, not just effective. Um, It it changes the whole ball game. Um, So once you've built, so once you're fit for purpose, then again, sprinting and sprinting often is far less taxing. um, It's far less scary for your conscious and your subconscious. um, And it's far easier to then turn your speed into game speed because you've already developed your ABCs. You've already developed your, your basic competencies. Um, at medium to high intensities with large volumes so you can start to do your speed work and very quickly go into very specific game related activities
1: now i think you've you've nailed that one now you've um, covered so many different things that that people can like put into place but i guess the key is you know like train training at you know high intensities and and not worrying about it's not you don't worry about low intensity recovery but you get your recovery during those periods don't you Um, Mm. and yeah it's your program is designed to improve those high intensity things in the game which ultimately is what wins the game those high intensity efforts um,
0: yeah the worst the worst case scenario are are what we're training for um and i just want to keep saying it's not just about training at the highest intensities it's being it's training to prepare yourself for those high intensities And there, and there are times in a training week that low-intensity stuff works. And depending on your training cycle and, and your, your need to develop aerobic and, and sub-maximal um, volume load and and and, uh, and and using that as a stimulus, maybe for recovery, maybe for work capacity, they all fit. But nothing in isolation. It's recognising and never forgetting what we really, really want and what we really, really need. Um that, that's what's always at the front. And you know what? Like Someone like Eddie Jones or some of the other managers that I've worked with, like in, especially in football, they are really, really clear with what they really, really need. Um, and the good ones are not scared to get you to do what's necessary. But it's, it's actually when people are fearful of speed that they choose to hide from it for as long as possible during rehab and then suddenly expose someone to it. And so the player comes back and they are healthy, but they haven't got the capacities needed to flourish in the game. Um, and, and so th- this is what's really important for me, is that we find a way, um, especially in rehab, but again, in off-season, pre-season work, to keep a, keep a keen eye on what we really want in the future, to really ask ourselves, how can we touch on some of that now? How can we, you know, Brad Deweese really influenced me and, and the phrase phase potentiation, Kind of is 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 uttered that almost any time I talk about speed and progressions, is you know if we've got 12 weeks or we've got six weeks or we've got three weeks, and this is where we want to be in at the end of this process. What are we doing now to help the next step? To help the next step to make sure we are where we where we need to be. Um, and and I think you know m- modern training or or high performance training done consistently well near, often uses this approach.
1: Definitely. Right, Jonas, the next question is when we ask all the um, the guests on the podcast. And I think it'd be interesting because, I mean, you said you've worked, you know, international level with, with clubs and also with, you know, private clients as well. And it's what do mm. you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Um
0: the biggest mistake is believing, I think all coaches as well, not just rugby players, I think all sports, believing that there's a specific metric. In a in a in a specific lift like a squat or a clean, that will that means once you reach that metric, you're a man and you're elite and you're going to perform at, at an elite level. Yeah, you're a man or you're a woman, you're a grown up. Yeah, you're an elite athlete and you're going to be prepared to do it. You know, because I squat two two and a half times my body weight or I clean two times my body weight, I am now elite. Um, I think that that's one of the big problems. I think another problem is that. Um, what I've seen, especially a lot over the past 10 years, is great academy players, great kids who are naturally fast. They haven't seen sprint coach, or they have. They they haven't done any specific training, or they have. Either way, they are 16, 17, 18, and they are rapid. And then they get picked up by an academy, and their speed doesn't really improve over the next four to six years. And the argument that I always, always made is, yeah, but, and they maintain their speed so their momentum scores up and that's what they need in the sport. And that's disappointing um, because I think you see Southern Hemisphere players get faster and get heavier. So yeah. so what's, what's the argument that we have here? Um, and so I think getting faster as you mature into a man or into a woman, into a grown-up, is really important um, because no longer is just your maturation being the reason you're getting faster and I think that's what we see you know it's 15, 16, 17, 18 good hormones and good activity levels and um, means they get faster and as soon as they start getting coached they don't and I think that's backwards um, and I think it's easy for that to happen because the focus becomes put on weight in rugby um, and, uh, and focus on your skills and not that those things aren't important but it's, it's, the, it's the blend it's the blend how do we keep the physical, psychological, technical, tactical, keep improving altogether, and no doubt there'll be different rates of improvement. But how do we continue to make sure we we keep all the planets aligned, keep everything developing at the same time? Um, that would be another problem, and then maybe just coordination and t- teaching movement that isn't static movement in the gym. I think SNC coach, like I said, gym to jump. I think sprinting is the top of the par- of the pyramid not not the olympic lifts and the compound lifts um and so uh, but yet it's easier to coach the movements that are done static and i say static stackers and you're not really you have no momentum you're not moving um, you're on the spot it's harder to coach sprint related jump related change direction related movements and it's quite popular to use a constraints-based Approach and, and no by no means am I belittling it. I think it's really important to be able to choose exercises, design activities that encourage the athlete to solve the puzzle themselves. But I think we've gone too far to the right. I think we've gone too far in that direction. And actually it's now an excuse to not be able to identify movement um, and identify uh, critical limitations in the movement and communicate that in an effective way that allows the athlete to absorb it and not become paralyzed for analysis and absorb it but and then add it to their global view of the movement it's just because we talk internal cue doesn't mean it must re- be retained in, internally um I, I feel like you talk about an internal cue sometimes just to help with um with it, with solving that, that the bigger puzzle um so i um, i've said lots of things there maybe the last thing would be the yeah, ankle no one really in team sports it's really interesting when i come across some teams um like we were Bristol bears recently. They really surprised me that they're spot on same London Irish. They're really spot on with their calf and ankle conditioning, but there are a large group of people who only condition the calf and ankle during rehab. They, they leave out anything real specific until someone is hurt. And actually you'll be, you wouldn't be surprised that they're, they're often teams with lots of lower leg injuries. Um, so uh, a real global understanding of underpinning qualities for calf and ankle, um, uh, coordination for foot and ankle, um, that, that seems to be like a, a real second thought. But then speed is really important for people, so, so it doesn't make sense. So you get bigger thighs, bigger hamstrings, bigger quads. You can attack the ground so much harder, you can hit the ground so much harder, but you've got a weak foot and calf, that, that's backwards. That, that's how you actually get hurt, or that's how you make people less efficient. Um, if you want to throw a big punch, but you've got a weak wrist, it doesn't make sense. You're better off throwing a, weak, a, a smaller punch so your wrist can, can retain its shape and, and actually transfer the energy into the target as opposed to leak the energy out. So, yeah, calf and ankle condition maybe would be... Yeah, that, that's,
1: that's interesting. Is, it, is there anything specific you could recommend to our athletes or anything?
0: um do you know what um uh, simply i would talk about the working the foot and ankle in, in maybe three different ways in the gym i'll talk about it being either bent knee or straight legged right bent bent knee you can really get your soleus more large power output really important for speed um and for stability of your ankle straight legged okay you get your gastric more um, similar kind of concept um uh, it, Build build work capacity and, and and maybe regain muscle mass if you need to through normal concentric eccentric means. Um, but moving to m- moving to real high load isometric type work seems to be more sprinting as for people that are trying to create large forces in a short amount of time. Um, I think Alex Natera's work has really um, uh, Alex. Terror's work around anything isometric really makes sense there and, and his spectrum of training is the same as a lot of people build work capacity and and, um, and uh, cross-sectional area and, and fast calls through concentric and eccentric specific work. But once you've got those key components, you've got the, the hardware, really change the software through um, heavy
1: isometrics. That, that, that would be my goal. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. Now, you've mentioned obviously isometrics and eccentrics, you know, several times, you know, through the whole discussion. Now, often we focus, and I guess because we look at numbers, you know, we want to see jumps and things like that, and one RMs. What, how, how do you use eccentrics and isometrics uh, in your training? And for what purpose? I guess for people's understanding.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I love an eccentric for all my hamstring work um and there's a lot of evidence and information on on fascicle length and and very and, and how important that is for 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 your hamstrings i think there's a lot of information and evidence on um cross sectional area and how that's important for this muscle and force there's also a, a conflict between building cross sectional area and building f- f- fascicle length because the the more cross sectional area you get in the muscle The shorter the fascicles will be so we almost go a bit of a seesaw that if you've got if you've got a goal and you want to build size that actually you you need to build size and also consider how that building of size will affect your fascicle length and your your end range strength and your ability to be elastic almost um so uh it's important for me to consider this and take that take that into my planning um, my my isometric work um, uh, ISOs to me unlock the system so I, I heavy isometric works, not just normal not just any isometric heavy isometric work I think <clears throat> does a few things it first allows you to get a majority of the muscles so not just if, if you just say let's say we're doing um, uh, a glute Ham raise heavy isometric for your hamstrings right it, it, what's great about it is because if it's heavy you, you it's not just hamstrings it's the whole posterior chain and again it might not just be the posterior chain you especially around the hips you might find that there's lots of co-contraction around the pelvis and the hip and around the knee that helps stabilize that angle so i, I think isometrics or or i believe isometrics Heavy isometrics help you create large contractions, coordinated contractions um, that really support what we need in our sport. When we hit the ground running, um, no pun intended, but when we hit the ground, when we're running, we need everything to fire at the right time and then to relax at the right time. Um, and that firing, everything firing all, up, all at the same time is a, a neurological coordination type component. I'm sure there's rate coding and synchronization all needed for those key things. Um, And I I find it far easier to get that done in in heavy isometric work. The the problem, or the good thing about isometric work is it it has uh, um, an angle specificity. So we try to make sure that we're doing our isometric work in in angles that are specific to what we want that strength to transfer to in running. Um, running specifically. Um, uh, did I answer your question?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. Some good, some good examples there of when to use eccentrics and, and isometrics. Um, mm-hmm. Right, next question. And you've you've mentioned uh, JB Marin. Uh, so mm-hmm. my next question was, how do you use resisted sprinting uh, to improve speed for rugby?
0: Yeah, so I think resisted sprinting does a number of things. Resisted sprinting is. Simply an easy way to learn how to coordinate your limbs. Why? Because the constraint of the resistance means, if especially if the resistance is relatively heavy, let's say you're pulling a sled at half your body weight and you're pulling it on grass rather than on 4G... So that's not really sliding, yeah. So you're pulling on long grass, so that 50% of your body weight feels heavy. Because if you pull 50% of your body weight on a wet 4G, it might not feel very heavy, yeah. So we're just going to be clear about that. Um, if you don't orientate your forces forwards horizontally, you will not really move, and that's the great thing about that. It tells you if you've done it right or wrong, near enough, yeah, and. And if you then start to um, play with different coordination strategies, you know, you punch your free leg harder, you push, a ground, uh, push against the ground for longer. You, um, I, I've talked about proximal to distal uh, a lot, but the easiest term I use is is two terms. One is torso torpedo. So can you make your torso horizontal at the beginning of stance and during extension, keep it horizontal or relatively horizontal? Or another way to pull it is bum before back. I'm giving you my secrets here. Bum before back is really, really important, especially in acceleration, especially in early acceleration. Bum before back. And really what that means is, are you using your bum and your hip extensors um, as the driving force and then your lumbar spine and your erector and your erectors and your and your torso essentially are supporting the extension so that would be a really strict movement or is the back extension throwing your shoulders up and you're using your and you're rolling your knee you're allowing your shin to roll so you when you throw your shoulders up you can use your quad more so you're a bit more upright and it's a bit more of a noisy, I would talk about noisy quads your your shin should be still during extension it might it might roll a tiny bit forwards but it should be still and it should really be bum orientated now what's the point the point is when you pull heavy sled you can really see that you can really see it you can really feel it as an athlete Um, and when you try to use different coordination strategies the stuff that we would normally use in track and field um, to do with what are you doing with your limbs what you're doing with your with inter-limb coordination, uh, what's the contralateral or ipsilateral limb doing to help you throw yourself forwards? Um, the heavy sled tells you the difference between right and wrong. It gives you lots of feedback. If I decide to, tr- to try something a bit different, I'll either feel myself move faster forwards, or it make me it will suddenly make the sled feel heavier. And so, the heavy sled to me is a really important early stage coordination puzzle. Um, but it's also great strength work. It's also really, really good strength work, strength and power work. If you do it enough of it, you know, from um, I was with Bath from, I don't know, from 20, 2011 to maybe 2015, 2016. And so every preseason we would pull and push very heavy things. Um, and Alan Ryan, who was there at the, at the time, he's now too long or, or to lose, I always get it wrong. Um, he's a great... Uh, He's a great he's a great, great guy. But his philosophy was, right, I've got senior players here who could increase by 5% their squat or their, whatever key lift it is over this next three to four weeks, um, and I will try to. But I won't put all my eggs in that basket. Actually, each week, I'm going to make sure that their the capacity to pull and push heavy things efficiently and be effective is my primary goal, and I'll use the lifts to support this. This is a very different philosophy to most people. Most people in s and and performance will measure their, how they've affected their client or the team through the, the numbers in the gym. Whereas actually his were f- through components that somehow he could measure through GPS, but somehow he couldn't. He had to trust that it was the important thing to do. And actually, over time, he could measure it because... We, we started to do cool things and, and that's some of that stuff I can't really talk about um, but essentially heavy sled is for slowing down the movement giving the athlete some feedback between right and wrong in their movement strategy and also developing underpinning physical qualities but in a very uh, you know that word dynamic correspondence in a very transferable way um, but let's be honest Heavy sled only really helps with initial acceleration. Medium weighted sled helps a tiny bit for the next phase. So heavy sled helps with zero to five, zero to six, and also develops the qualities needed for the rest, but it doesn't necessarily develop the coordination. You need to lighten the sled, you need to do more and more reps at faster speeds, and then that will help with the coordination and the qualities of the latter part of acceleration. So heavy sled for me it starts from day one, from the beginning of preseason. If we're lifting in the gym and we're building capacity, we're, we're we're pulling and pushing heavy things. It slows down the movement for the coach to see, for the athlete to feel. It also makes speed work early in your in your your developmental cycles more safe, again because it slows it down. Um, and so sled, we, I sell exogeny pulleys. You know, most of the teams I work with have a dozen. That's such an easy way to get a range of um, range of resistance done um, and uh, and and carry it around with you because it's easier to carry an oxygen in your bag than uh, eighty kilos in in, in your trunk, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, heavy sled, heavy sled, heavy sled, sled in general, resistance in general. If you haven't gotten any of those things, you can run up a hill, but it's not always the same. Um, but I think all of those things really just support with teaching and training in
1: in a, in a similar kind of task. Yeah, it just sounds like it's got a lot of bang for its buck, really, is not it? Like I said, it's yeah, it's learning sure. the skill of it, but also the physical adaptations as well. So exactly, that's it's cool. Gone. Thank you for that. Uh, right, the next question. I I saw you speak a while back. Now uh, I think West Brom put on a, a few sort of mini conferences that you spoke at, and yeah. you came across really well in, in terms of your philosophy. And when people questioned, you, you could see that you kind of you've developed a very strong philosophy that works for you so my next question is what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach and it's kind of i I guess how how you go or how you went about to develop your own philosophy um
0: i think you've got to read everything and listen to everything um not everything. I think I do think some people get carried away with that. So maybe I should rephrase that. I think you need to read and listen to a variety of successful people. Um, if you can find out what makes different people successful, you can find the commonalities between them, between their programming, their philosophies, their, you know, their styles rather than the differences. So it, especially if so, if you can find so my master's thesis was on expertise not in sport just in general expertise and all i did was study great um surgeons doctors uh architects uh, teachers um coaches and look for common uh, chess uh, and the chess guys were the cool ones you, you look for common denominators across the board so that's the same thing i would say to anybody in a C coach go and find different programs different systems if you can cross learn from different industry even better and then recognise what are the common themes that you see. The common themes would generally be expertise in heuristic development. Most, re- most very good or very successful people are good at summarising information into easily accessible rules of thumb for them, heuristics. So if you can find a good mentorship programme or a good network to embed yourself within, find out what makes people... Uh, how how do people make the decisions that they make and what affects that How uh, if you can find someone who is more agile in their planning and, the des- des- and their decision making, even better so being able to write a program and having a hard set philosophy is, is good and, and it can help stabilise a ship but it doesn't always help in warfare it doesn't always help when you're battling different problems from left right and centre um, it doesn't really help enough with humans who are every day adapting and changing in their perspective. So an agile approach to learning, to programming, to teaching, again is I think is far more effective in in our in our world um, than anything else. Um, so yeah, learn learn from great people, summarize some information, coach coach coach, reflect, be open minded um have have a group of people that will challenge you uh, i i know a lot of people that only surround themselves by by yes men by people that tell them the nice things but i always say my my mom used to say jonas if there's bogey on your nose i will tell you because i'm your mother your friends may not always tell you they may not want to embarrass you they may not want to have that um that discussion but i will tell you because i'm your mother i have a Uh, A mentor who was one of my my first mentors, Michael Afolaka, another sprint coach. And he always say, Jonas, we're only going to argue if I care. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, if I don't care about you, I will not argue with you. I will not spend that energy. I will not tell you difficult things. We will not have big conversations. I'm not going to risk my emotional uh, uh, state based on something I don't care about. And so, again, it's like if you're going to build a network, you you need um, honest people, people, not just people that will shoot you down, but people that will tell you the truth in the right manner at the right time. Uh, uh, Navigate all of this crap, you know, because there's lots of crap out there. There's lots of people touting and selling courses. There's lots of information. There's lots of people saying this is the only way to do it. Um, whereas you know, we're developing mentorship that we will launch soon, and, and really, it's not about this is the way; it's about what way for which person at, w- at what time of their life, um, and, and these things uh, should should always be changing.
1: Yeah, no, that's some great advice there, Jonas. I I often say to people, if if someone's saying this is the only way, run the other way because it's it's never yeah. it's never that cut and dry. Mm. Uh, and and any I mean, you mentioned a few um, coaches and and people uh, throughout the chat here. Are there any books you'd recommend um, to kind of guide those those people in the right direction? Um, books,
0: um, uh, lots lots of books. There's <laughs> lots of books. There's lots of books. I I think. Um, it all depends on what exactly they want to know. like, like I, I've tried to read as much as I can. So for, at the very beginning, I read everything that I could find on the Soviets and, and, and the Germans and the, 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 old, the, the old Eastern Bloc and every Vorkashansky Ver- and Matt and, and Bondichuk and as much as I could on programming principles. I think nowadays you're, you're seeing that there's less focus as much on, on some of that work and more on the soft skills which some people don't like to call it soft skills because it almost sounds undermining. but essentially communication emotional intelligence um being able to be a chameleon and wear different hats in different scenarios um and so clearly um brad uh, uh, i'm gonna say brad deweyce but it's not brad deweyce who who's from exos that's got a great book that's come out recently and brett bartholomew's but yeah exactly brett bartholomew like you know his his book clearly nick winkelman's books just come out recently you know the, the these two specifically um right now come to the front of my mind who are really challenging people's ability to communicate their ideas and i think when you look at exos as a brand that's clearly what what the difference is. That's why they've been successful, not just because they're working with NFL players and, and, and that, that you know they've got a good foothold in the market in the States, but they, they clearly are communicating their system well across, um, across to their coaches. Um, so, you know, I'll go in that direction. Um, I, I would have to think about that. I, I, look, I, I like to listen to smart people who are far smarter than me, so I listen to a lot of podcasts and um, and and I think that that your podcast is great. That Just Fly is great. That um, Brett's one's coming out. I I do like Simon Sinek's um, podcast as well. I, I think there's a few, there's quite a few people with lots of good information out there, so it's difficult to say what book. Instead, it's more it's better to say it's better to say as an individual, this is my puzzle right now this is this is the linchpin that if i can address i'm going to exponentially grow um this is the area in my training and my coaching and my communication and my planning and my technical eye or my coaching eye or my understanding of sports science and analysis this is the limiting factor so when i when i get those questions i can easily direct people towards where exactly i would go to address it so listeners if you need help shoot me an email
1: cool and that is my next question where can people learn more about you (laughs)
0: Yeah, our website speedworks.training um, is growing. Um, we, I'm on uh, Instagram and and uh, Twitter as eat sleep train um, underscore. Uh, I probably have more Instagram stuff going up than I do tweets. Um, social media can be depressing sometimes, so I'm not always the one on social media. Um, so that's also important to to be clear about. Um, and uh, like I say, for, for athletes and players, we have a, a new coaching system, uh, an online virtual coach system that will go up this weekend, um, end of March. And that's really cool. I've avoided online and, and um, virtual coaching for a while. A lot of people just want to program and want to go and crack on. That's not how I coach. Um, and so we've, we've worked really hard to create a system where we can give Quality review, um, quantifiable review for like video video analysis essentially for acceleration and speed and change that direction, um, and also do some virtual coaching where uh, I sit on I sit on Facetime or Zoom with with one to five people and, and we'll actually take them through a technical session or whatever a session they want. So this is a new a new uh, a new service that we're offering. Uh, second week of April, um, and that is to support everything that you've just talked about here. It's what what do we do as strength and conditioning, as a strength and conditioning community, to um, maximise our process, to improve our ability to learn in action, um, and uh, and improve our communication uh, across the board? So um, this these are the two key things that are coming out soon, um, sooner rather than later, um, as well as the fact that. Yeah, I'm, I'm on social media I'm on email I'm, I'm everywhere really
1: awesome great so, and of course we'll share links to to all those and and your new um, things that are coming out um, but Jonas thanks very much for your time I know you've got um, kids to get off to um, but thanks so much some re- really interesting stuff and some some great information for, for listeners to take out of that um, yeah, so thanks I can, I can smell smoke
0: best. so I can I think the house is burning down <laughs> too. The
1: kids the kids must be busy right now Jonas
0: all the best mate No worries. Thanks for having me on. Cheers.
1: See ya. So thank you, Jonas. Great podcast. Um, Some really good insights. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate hearing from someone who's working with some elite track athletes and of course rugby players at a high level internationally and club level. Um, Some real good information about uh, eccentric and isometric loading um, and how to tie in your whole program, including running gym based work uh, and rugby to kind of tie everything in together. So it's all, all built together for improving performance and of course reducing injuries so some, some great stuff and thank you for that uh, in the meantime guys please uh, give us a 5 star review um, and check us out subscribe to the podcast on iTunes SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher whatever you use, Spotify these days as well uh, and of course in this current climate, um, stay safe we do hope to get some more podcasts out to you while good SNC coaches are locked up in their homes um, trying to get a bit of home training Um, and of course check us out at rugbyrenegade.com again we're trying to get some real good ideas for you guys so you can train at home with no or limited equipment Uh, but stay safe uh, and we'll have another podcast out to you soon
0: thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast for more quality rugby strength and conditioning information check us out at rugbyrenegade.com Rugby Renegade building machines